0: Hey everyone, Jace here. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to tell you about a campaign for an awesome creator owned book that's going on right now over at Zoop. Axe Wilder John is the story of a savage journey into the heart of a man driven mad by love, by hate, by power, as he is hounded by hordes of relentless enemies who will stop at nothing to proclaim what John has stolen. This is a real passion project for writer artist Nick Patera as he's drawing inspiration from creators he loves, such as Frank Quietly, Jeff Darrow, and Mobius, among others. The book is also a deeply personal tale for Nick. He conceived a lot of the character and stories while his family was dealing with health challenges for his youngest daughter. Just like real life, the story is much more complicated than it might seem at first glance, and the axe-wielding barbarian at the heart of the story may be much, much more relatable than your average bloodthirsty warrior. The project's Already fully funded, so go join the campaign, and you're guaranteed to get this full-color, oversized, hardcover edition. Just visit zoop.gg to check it out. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source, Comic Boom collaboration. Uh, apologies. I know it's super echoey. I can hear it when I'm talking. I'm still on the road. <laughs> I know I said New York was my last trip, but turns out one more. I'm in Northern California. This really, truly is the last one. And then we'll be back. So it is good to be back with Rocky. I know he flew solo last week. I flew solo the week before. So it's great that we're uh, together to do this. Um... I didn't read the books last week, even though I didn't get a chance to, to really chat about them. Uh, I'll give a quick rundown right now. I thought Duo, number one, the Milestone debut, was interesting. Interesting concept. Great pox, always a, a writer who I enjoy. So I thought that was pretty cool. Flash blew it out of the park. I mean, Jeremy Adams continues to kill it on that book. Linda Park having um, powers is just so cool. And... Um, Finally getting back to that Iron Heights mystery that's been teased for a long time, all the way back in Williamson's run is pretty cool. Batman, Superman, World's Finest just continues to be a whole lot of fun, what Mark Wade is doing. Breakneck Pace, I do wish you'd slow down just a little bit, but it's a minor nitpick. Uh, Wonder Woman Evolution, we're finally figuring out what evolution means in in that title, right? Whole idea of nanites and evolving the human race. Batman the Knight 5 was a little underwhelming. It's still really good. Um, but interesting to see where Bruce learned his technique for, you know, disguises. So that was cool. Catwoman 43, probably on the low end for me, I really didn't care for the Bengal art. Uh, It was fun to see Catwoman pulled into Harley's world in terms of the roller derby stuff. And we got the red claw. Who's uh, a comic book, DC comic book debut. She's uh, from Batman animated series. So that was interesting. I bought a couple copies on spec uh, but yeah, the art kind of – Shadow War Zone number one, I, I, f- I don't know about this book. So I f- i bought like five copies. I pre-ordered like five copies of that X-Men uh, homage cover because it just looked amazing. But when I read the book, it was a little underwhelming. Like I don't know that we needed an anthology tying it into tying in sh- uh, the Shadow War because it's not that big of a thing. Uh, but it was okay. Uh, Nightwing number 92, (laughs) so this was the one out of all of them that I I really wanted to be on and talk to Rocky about because uh, we both have talked about how slow-going Nightwing has been, but we appreciate what Tom Taylor's doing in terms of like emotion and character moments. We didn't get that much emotion and character moments in this one, but it was like breakneck pace and a lot happened. So uh, I really enjoyed that. Then the other three, uh, we haven't been reading the Earth Prime stuff because neither Rocky or I – Watch the CW shows, uh, Looney Tunes. We never cover, and then Fables. I'm I'm not a fan of Fables. Like I've I've never read it, so I didn't I didn't even check that one out. But uh, yeah, it, all in all, I thought it was a solid week. Uh, and I think probably a tie between Duo number one, which really impressed me, and and that Flash issue. Uh, and if I had to pick one, probably that Flash issue really really blew out of the park. So all in all, a pretty strong week. Uh, this week. We have uh, nine titles, I believe. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yep, seven, eight, nine. Uh, pretty solid week. Uh, I thought probably DC Vampires was the weakest for me because it's almost like a what-if sort of story. But we'll talk about that when we get to it. Uh, hard to pick a favorite. I thought um, Detective Comics was really strong. So was Task Force Z. So, um, yeah, Batman Beyond was was good. So, yeah, pretty strong week this week. Rocky, what would you think?
1: I enjoyed this week. Uh, this week was, uh, was pretty darn good. I was, uh, Batman fortress is a pleasant surprise. I wasn't I expecting know. much from that because I guess, I guess I get Batman fatigue. And just when I think I get, I'm a little bit tired of Batman, you know, a writer comes along and that's, it's a new writer for me on the Batman fortress. And I actually kind of like the premise. I'm like, and we'll be discussing that. Uh, I like Batman beyond white Knight. Uh, Sean Gordon Murphy continues to uh, impress. I'll, Action Comics, PKJ is doing a great job on that. And uh, I really like what's happening between and Deathstroke and Robin with a tie-in to World's Finest by Mark Wade, which was a surprise, which we'll be talking about. So, uh, with the demon Nezha, making uh, obviously what's happening in World's Finest by Mark Wade, his storyline is connected to Robin and Deathstroke, which is a surprise. Yeah,
0: yeah big but surprise.
1: A pleasant one.
0: Um, yeah, definitely. I-, I love it when it ties in organically like that. I will admit to reading ahead, like when, when I finished reading uh, Shadow War Zone, then I immediately read Robin. And then instead of reading more of the books for this week, because I think I read, I think I'm, what did I read first? I can't even remember at this point. But anyway, uh, I think Aquaman. Actually, I think I read Deathstroke first. Yeah. And then I read Aquaman. And then I read Robin. And then I went to future weeks, and I finished the last two parts of the Shadow War, because I, I just had to know who it was, and we'll be talking well, you, about it.
1: Well, it was very, very predictable, though. I mean, I, well, you even called it. We we called it, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. fairly predictable. It was surprising that Batman, I think Williamson actually, we'll talk about it, but Williamson kind of made Batman look like an idiot. Uh, ba- Batman, I'm sure, I'm surprised he didn't figure it out immediately, because we did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we
0: we did, but we won't spoil it here. Even though yeah. we do spoilers, we won't spoil it here because it's still a couple weeks away. But if you go back and listen, if you go back and listen to subsequent or previous, uh, I should say previous episodes, you'll you'll
1: figure it out. But, well, it's spoiled you know, in Robin. We'll spoil. We're not. You we don't want to spoil it in Robin. We're, we're, well, yeah, Robin. when we get to
0: Robin, the last page, the last page reveal. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we'll keep you in suspense for a little while longer while we talk about Shadow War Part Six. Uh, which is Deathstroke Incorporated number nine, written by Joshua Williamson. Art is by Paolo Pantalina. Colors by Romulo Farrado Jr., letters by Steve Wands. Um, it, it had been a, a little bit <laughs> since we actually had any of the regular story. So I, I admit having to go back and re- rereading Batman 123 to remember wait, so where where are Bruce and Damien? Oh, they're at this, they're at in Central City at this. Uh, costumer place, this guy that makes costumes for villains. Oh, that's right. They went to, uh, I think they went to Blackgate and I think it was Black. Yeah. Cause they were in Gotham. Yeah. They went to Blackgate. They found one of the guys who had been dressed up as a Deathstroke uh, who was show, showed up in the Bendis run, which again, kudos to Williamson for tying that stuff in found out that, yeah, there was some, this other guy that was there who was much more serious, that was getting a Destro costume as well. And so that's where Batman and Robin are when this issue starts. But more importantly, kind of the emotional beat of this issue. We saw at the end of last issue that Respawn was killed. And you kind of thought, well, he is a bit of a throwaway character, but he had potential. So will they keep him dead or will, you know, Lazarus Lazarus, uh, Pit is a possibility. We've seen Slade Wilson heal from things. We know ReSpawn himself has uh, the ability to uh, to regenerate, and he was on Lazarus Island and you know was resurrected before. So, uh, but based on the beats of this issue, it seems like yeah, he's he's going to be gone for good. And Deathstroke is, I guess we'll just say he's not taking it well. Um, meanwhile, Batman and Robin they are at that uh, that location, the costumer and. They do find the the Deathstroke uh, imposter there, but he escapes uh, basically by tunneling through the ground after causing an earthquake. And again, hint, hint, hint on, on who this guy might be. If you're a longtime BC fan, you can probably figure it out. And then we also see Deathstroke go and recruit um, members or uh, rescue is not the right word because Ghostmaker's been... Um, been protecting all the members of the Seeker Society that have a hit out on them from the League of Shadows. But Destro goes over there to Ghostmaker and is like, alright, they're coming with me because now that Respawn is dead, Slade's pissed off and he's going to take the fight to tell you. So it's a pretty fast-paced issue. I basically just covered everything that, that happened. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Paulo Pantalina's art uh, on superhero stuff. I think his stuff works for fantasy a lot better. Like I think the first time I ever saw his work was uh, over at Aspen Comics on Journey, and she's uh, like a djinn, and I think his art works really well there. Not to say the art is bad; and the storytelling's pretty good. Uh, he just has really thick lines, and I don't know that it suits a kind of a kinetic superhero book as well as some other art styles do. But all in all, it's it's solid. And like I said, like once I finish reading this, I'm like, okay, I gotta read Robin and I gotta read Shadow War Omega because. I wanna know for sure if, if I was right. And you know, it turns out I was, but pretty solid. And all in all, I think, and we'll talk about it more when we talk about Shadow War Omega, I think that it this, even though it's a smaller story and Williamson said as much, it, it accomplishes a lot, but it also leaves a lot of open-ended questions, which you can almost say that about any DC book these days. So everything, everything uh, bowing to Dark Crisis in a way, right? Every, every, leave everything open. Dark Crisis will answer questions, also pose more questions, and lead into the next era of, of DC. Is what it what it feels like. So, uh, and even at the end of Shadow War, it it literally says to be continued in Dark Crisis. So, uh, what do you think of this one, Rock?
1: Uh yeah, uh, this was this was action packed. Uh, a a <laughs> lot happens in this issue. That uh, you know, it's just adrenaline, a, a, a total adrenaline rush. I mean, there's nonstop action. Uh, Slade wants Slade wants to kill Talia. He he Slade Wilson, the real Slade Wilson. Uh, he wants to take out Talia because uh, he knows that uh, he knows that Talia screwed up. That he's not he's not the one who tried to kill. Uh, he knows he's not guilty of killing Roz, and he knows that he knows that somebody is setting up him and Talia and wants him and Talia to face off against each other, and he'll have. Uh, uh, but he he still wants to kill Talia because she, she her League of Assassins killed Respawn, and uh, he's just start, starting to get his, his he he just finally got another son into his life, and he felt it was maybe his way to try to redeem himself, and uh, and that's and so him losing Respawn uh, absolutely devastates him. Uh, he does his best. He uses the asks the crime doctor to see if he can uh, resurrect or. Uh, uh, help respawn out, but respawn. Of course, has got riddled with bullet holes. He's he's as dead as a doornail, and uh, I'm sure even Lazarus resin couldn't couldn't revive him. And uh, it is what it is. Uh, there's a reference here that Talia at one point uh, Talia does tell Mother Soul that Roz is dead, that her son is dead, and Mother Soul. Uh, talks about the, the Nizha will rise and that the prophecies are going to come true then, that if Roz is dead, then the prophecy has begun. So what's this prophecies everyone, everyone is talking about? Well, uh, that, that's some hint here of future issues as well. So, um, yeah, I this is good. Now, lot lots of hints. I, anyone who, who knows anything about Batman, I think any longtime DC reader, even a short-time DC reader... If you're a fan of Batman, uh, of a particular Batman group, you're going to know who the the fake Deathstroke is. If you know anything about Leviathan, what Leviathan did, what Talia did to a country of Martin, called Markovia, you could probably figure it out. But we'll get to it when we review Robin uh, later on in the in the in the review here. But uh, yeah, all, all, even, good issue. yeah, yeah, even if you're on the
0: outside looking in, you should be able to figure out who it is. Uh, Anyway, let's move on. Uh, This has been somewhat of an inconsistent series, uh, but it's Aquaman number four. It's written by Chuck Brown and Brandon Thomas. Pencils are by uh, Sammy Bosry. Inks by Bosry and Vicente Sifuentes. Colors by Adriana Lucas and letters by Anne Design. Uh, We pretty much have it all laid out here for us, uh, what's going on in the series. So what do you think, Rock?
1: Uh, I'm not – I don't know. I, I haven't really been a huge fan of this series so far. And I think the last time, the last time I reviewed this, the last time Aquaman three, I don't even think, I think you reviewed it by yourself. I wasn't really, um, uh, I wasn't with you when you reviewed it, the 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 third issue, but, uh, it, it feels a little bit wonky to me. It feels like it's a little bit kind of all over the place. Uh, um, I don't really find myself being pulled into this story. and uh, uh, I, I don't know uh, this uh, this Chuck Brown and Brandon Thomas, I I don't know I I just I, I feel like Aquaman is being as uh, handled like uh, the Amazons are. I, I just it, it's just not really resonating with me, although Aquaman is better handled than 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 the Wonder Woman mythology is as of late. And um, I, we know that there's sleeper agents. Uh, we, we we now have some understanding what Aquaman Arthur Curry was doing on Mars. He was trying to track the sleeper agents, the sleeper agents that are all planted all over the world. To uh, these are Zebelian rebels that want to destroy the UN and create terrorism all over the world, and I think maybe blame Atlantis for it to get Atlantis in trouble and to destroy their relationship with the United Nations. And so that's going on, 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 on the larger playing field. And so I guess I can get that. I'm um, you know, there's, there, there's some decent enough character work here, but I feel it's been very disjointed. I thought, uh, I think uh, Jackson Hyde has been angry one minute and then he's, then he's getting along with, with his father, black man to the next, then he's angry again uh, I feel like it's been a little bit disjointed, but it's starting to come into its own a little bit. Um, I feel there's... Uh, there's a lot of moving parts here. I Batwoman, out of the blue, making appearance in this issue, really felt out of the blue. I don't know where that... Why Batwoman would be a character to be used here, but I, I guess it's all well and good. It seems like a very kind of odd choice, but it's, you know, it's funny. It's not, it's not even that it's... Um, it's, it's not, it's not a bad story. It's not bad. I just, for some reason, I, maybe it's because it's not really being hyped or advertised, but it, it just feels so, all, all the, all the plot twists are just sort, just kind of out of nowhere. It feels I've, I, I haven't really been able to get into this. And uh, like I said, it's better written than Trial of the Amazons. I feel, I, I feel like Aquaman is an event, even though it kind of isn't, I guess it's a series, but it, 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 it but it, it feels like it, it's meant to be an event of some kind, and um, but it's not really resonating with me. But I can't say it's necessarily like a bad story. It's just something that's I don't really find uh, I don't really find compelling. I think there's too many characters in it, to be honest. It's uh, and the, all the characters coming together they don't they don't come together as well as I would like. Um, but um, I, I I will give Chuck Brown and uh, Brandon Thomas some credit because they are they are trying to they are making this a big deal this involves the entire world this involves zebel terrorism all over the world they're thinking big here and i like that aspect of it and maybe i just got to reread it again once you know read the first four issues again coming into this fourth issue uh to to really appreciate it but uh uh it's not quite hitting with me but i don't know what do you think
0: yeah, I mean, something you said there is ex- exactly what I was going to say. Why I feel like it's not working? There's too many characters, and you know, as much as DC wants Aquaman to be kind of an A lister, he just isn't. You know, he's a B. He's a B lister. He's a support guy. Um, the mo- pop- most popular he ever was was in the New Fifty Two when Jeff Johns and Ivan Reis launched, uh, relaunched the series, and. That was you know the most popular that it ever was sold the most it was really good but even at that point it wasn't like hey you know Aquaman's going to have his own little corner and his own uh, kind of supporting cast but that's actually what we have here you know it's like they've they've tried to redeem Black Manta and make him an anti hero, which I've talked ad nauseum about how I feel about that it just doesn't work for me and we've got Jackson Hyde and we have Andy Curiello. she's a little baby we're even bringing in Garth and we're bringing in Tula. It's really like, hey, it's it's Aquaman and, and his squad, the, the Aquaman family. I'm sorry, Aquaman is just he's not I, I, I don't think that Aquaman as a character really demands enough attention to have all these characters in the book, right? There's only so much interest in Aquaman. And then when you bring in, you know, five, six, seven side characters, now you've taken that uh, that amount of attention and love for for Uh, that people do have for Aquaman and you spread it out amongst all these characters. So you kind of end up like, like you and I feel as much as I'm a fan of Aquaman, I own an Aquaman shirt even. um, But I'm kind of shrugging my shoulders at this one because I don't feel like there's enough there in terms of character work to really make it compelling. Uh, I think Aquaman works best when it's like him or him and Mira and that's it. Uh, Even bringing Jackson Hyde in, it, it sort of dilutes it, you know, um, so it's it's, not, it's just not really working for me, unfortunately. Uh, I agree with you as far as the story goes. There are some interesting twists, and there's some political machinations, which that's always an interesting side effect of uh, an Aquaman story because he's you know he was the king. They no longer have a monarchy. It's it's they're trying to get a democracy in place, but he's still you know the the kind of the face of Aquaman as far as the surface world or the face of Atlantis rather, as far as the surface world is concerned. So there's always going to be that political sort of stuff, but the problem with the story in my mind is it's, it's plot driven rather than character driven. Like I I can understand why Aquaman is, is worried. I don't think he ever actually even went to Mars. I think he said he was going to go to Mars, but really stayed on earth and was hunting down the the sleeper agents, like Rocky said. So, and I can understand why, you know, this Atlantean sleeper agent project would get under his skin and he feels responsible for all the destruction and lives that are lost. I I can completely understand that, like on a cerebral level. But there hasn't been anything that's happened in the series to really bring it home on an emotional level. Like, I, uh, you know, logically, I can understand why he cares and why he he wants to stop it. But it doesn't really seem like he cares, you know, emotionally. um, I haven't had, you know, a story beat where, yeah, Aquaman feels really bad that this is happening. It's just like he feels responsible because that's who he is, and so he's trying to solve the problem. But it, it all comes across as sort of paint-by-the-numbers, very plot-driven, like I said. So that's unfortunate. Um, I, honestly, I think – I don't know if it's you know leftovers of the 5G stuff with Jackson Hyde wanting to be Aquaman. If you want Jackson Hyde to be Aquaman, then fine take Arthur off the table completely again, which we, you know, we just had that before the Kelly Sue DeConnick run. So I wouldn't really be a fan of that. Like really what I want is just, just give me a, a plain old Aquaman title with Arthur Curry. That's when it seems to work best. Although I will admit in the Peter David run, you know, there were some supporting characters, Dolphin and um, and some others that, you know, I guess it was a little more than just Aquaman himself. And that was a pretty, uh, a pretty popular run, but again, when it was at its most popular was Jeff. when Jeff Johns was writing it. Maybe it was just because it was Jeff Johns. But that was very much a solo title um, with Mirror showing up once in a while. So, yeah, it's, uh, and we know it's been, I heard canceled, but I, I don't think it was ever really planned to be an ongoing. I think it was planned to end before Dark Crisis anyway. So we'll see what happens with Dark Crisis and how that affects Aquaman. That may dictate, you know, what, what the next Aquaman series looks like. Uh, Okay. Up next, Batman Fortress number one. Rocky mentioned it earlier. It's written by Gary Witta. The art is by Derek Robertson. Colors by Diego Rodriguez. Lettering by Simon Boland. (coughs) Uh, Gary Witta comes from the kind of the television or uh, animation school. I think he's a a TV writer more more than animation. Um, And Rocky alluded to, you know, a fascinating premise. So this whole, whole idea that Superman is nowhere to be found. And in this first issue, there's a worldwide blackout, and uh, Batman and Alfred in the Batcave detect with their battle lights, what Alfred wants to call them, Bruce refuses, their satellites. But apparently, Bruce has these deep space satellites to to uh, as like an early warning system, and yeah, something's headed toward Earth, and as kind of a, a first prelude to attack, I guess you'd say, it's sending out some sort of electromagnetic radiation that's. Uh, Causing blackouts, so they can't prepare. So you know this is a a cosmic level threat. You know, a really big threat to the planet. And normally, something that Superman would be right there at the forefront. But for whatever reason, he's missing. So Bruce has to take it upon himself. What does he do? How's he going to stop this alien invasion? You know, obviously, he's going to have help from some other Justice Leaguers, but but not Superman. And that makes it a really interesting premise. The Derek Robertson art is fantastic. I'm a big fan of Derek Robertson. Uh, If any of you guys have read any of The Boys, uh, maybe you're fans of the TV show, Derek Robertson's most well-known for doing that. He also, earlier last year, did the Black Label John Constantine book that Tom Taylor wrote. Art was fantastic there as well. So uh, this was... Yeah, I mean... When I read the premise, I'm like, oh, that that sounds really interesting. And I'm right there along with Rocky, like, oh, my God, so much Batman, so much Batman. But Gary Whitta and Derek Robertson do, do a fantastic job of giving us just enough Bruce, giving us just enough Batman, and mixing that with this threat to make it really compelling. So I was impressed by this. Um, it might be my favorite book of the week, actually. Like, I I thought it was really, really well done. And it's sort of a setup issue. It's sort of establishing what's going on. Um, Bruce hasn't come out right out and said, hey, it's an alien threat. It's an alien invasion yet. But again, from the solicits for issue one or the entire series, we know what's going on. So uh, I thought it was really great. And the other thing that it does, this this series does very, very well, it shows why we need Alfred. (laughs) We need Alfred back in the DCU. He's such a great sounding board and assistant for Bruce, uh, and, and a great way to, to give us expositionally information that we need, right. As Bruce and Alfred are talking, you know, they're conveying information to each other and we, as the readers are like, Oh, this is what's going on. So it works really well on that level also. So yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, can't say anything bad uh, about the art. Derek Robertson, he uses a little bit of a thicker line than, uh, you know, I might normally ask for, uh, cause I do like, you know, pretty fine lines, but his storytelling and his, uh, his panel layouts more than make up for that. So I'm always a fan of his art. So, uh, sounds like you enjoyed it too. Rocky, what'd you think?
1: Uh, yeah, I did. I, one of the, one of the central conceits of the, of the issue and of the storyline is that it's Batman alone. And, what I really like about the opening issue is that Batman, at more than one point in the opening issue, this issue starts off with, Bruce Wa- with, Bruce, with, with Wayne Manor being burglarized. And of course, can you think of a worse place if you're a burglar to rob than Wayne Manor? And of course, they run into Bruce Wayne. And of course, I mean, Alfred alone could take him out because of his old MI5 training. But uh, it, it was a great way to start the issue off because it starts off as a blackout this leads to more crime uh, the blackout is worldwide but during this blackout some bur- uh, a great way to start the story off is that wayne manners burglarized and uh batman right away knows that this is this is something that's happening uh, around the world and so he's he's having alfred prepare get getting the league together you know we don't know where superman is but get the other members of the league together and meanwhile batman goes out cuz he finds out from, he finds out from commissioner gordon that arkham asylum that the people escape from arkham and so he's got to go and he's got to take out he's got to take out the penguin and the joker and that takes place in the issue and and it's very action packed and what i really like about it is that he talks about you get a sense that this is a worldwide phenomenon that he this is a world where batman lives with other superheroes and he's going he want he needs to get the other heroes together but i love the fact that we don't have a we don't Not even once. We don't see a single other DC superhero. We don't see any member of the Justice League. We don't see Superman. This is truly setting up the premise in this opening issue that this is Batman alone. Batman has yet to figure out that he might have to take out these aliens just himself. I'm getting a sense it's not just Superman that's not around. It's just going to be Batman. There might not be any members of the Justice League that are going to help him. So I'm kind of curious to see, is it just Superman that's off the playing field or is it more than Superman? Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out, but I I really felt the stakes here. I felt that this was Bruce Wayne, Batman, and I love it. I love it. I mean, Batman, Bruce Wayne, he's the most dangerous man alive. And if goddamn, if we're going to be invaded by aliens and we have no superheroes, well, <laughs> give us Bruce Wayne, who's Batman, and uh, that's what's why I enjoyed this so much. So much. I, I agree with you. This was a this was definitely a, a pleasant surprise, and I'm. I'm curious about the name, Batman Fortress. I'm curious what the Fortress refers to. Does the Fortress refer to the Batcave? Does the Fortress refer to Bat- Superman's Fortress of Solitude, That Batman? If, if, if Batman's, you know, what does Fortress re- relate to? I mean, I, I don't know, but I, I find it fascinating. Uh, this new writer, uh, Gary Whitta, uh, I don't, has he written anything else that we would be familiar with? He's new. To, I think he's new to me. Or is he?
0: Yeah, like I think he's worked on, like I said, on TV stuff before. Okay, so Not is me. it. But I I want to say he's done some comic work before. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's English. He's an English screenwriter, it says here. Author, game designer. Uh, he has done some comic work before. Yeah, um, yeah he's worked with Mike Mignola. Okay. And In some Hellboy maybe. Yeah, he's uh, – yeah, he's writing the comic Oliver, which came out from Image. So so yeah, he's done a little bit of comic work, but it sounds like he's uh, he's branching out. Yeah, no,
1: that's good. Doing more. Doing more. Well, uh, he's impressive. And and Derek Robertson, what's, what can I say? I mean his art I, – I love his art. I love it on the boys. I, I certainly love it here. And Diego Rodriguez on the colors. I think it really – it, it works so I'm definitely in for this uh series I don't know how many how many issues this is do you know six issues four eight Does I it-
0: don't I, yeah I don't think they've said um yeah I'm not sure but uh, as far as them calling it Batman fortress um, like what that might mean uh I, if I had to guess it you know, it's it, alien invasion time. Batman has a plan for everything, so he could have a plan to, you know, turn the the Earth into a fortress to try to repel the invasion. Mm-hmm. That's the the code name for his his defense, as yeah. it were. That that's my guess. That, that that'll be
1: <laughs> yeah. Leave it to Batman to have a protocol for an alien invasion.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> but that's again pure pure speculation on my yeah. points. So. Uh, but yeah, great first issue. Definitely recommend picking it up. Uh, up next, we have DC vs. Vampire's Hunter, number one. Uh, this is from Ma- uh, writer Matthew Rosenberg, who's also writing the regular DC vs. Vampire story with uh, James Tynan. The art in this issue is by Neil Gouge. Colors are by Antonio Fabella. Letters by Troy Petrie. Um, it does have a variant cover that, that's an homage to Robin, number one, like when Robin got his ongoing with Tim Drake. Uh, So I definitely had to pick up that cover because it's quintessential 90s. As far as the story goes, so it's interesting. We just found out in the last issue of DC vs. Vampires, the limited series, that uh, Nightwing, which was a big surprise, kudos to those guys for, uh, you know, giving us a, a surprise. Like everybody thinks of Dick Grayson as like the best of the heroes in the DC universe and something to aspire to. And he's this inspirational character more so than anybody else. Um, he really does, like if Wally West embodies the hope of the DC universe, you'd say Dick Grayson embodies the heroism. So big hill turn to have him be the the one who's pulling the strings, king of the vampires and what have you. Um, so I'm not quite sure, like it, it, obviously the DC vampire versus vampire stories, a little bit out of continuity. I don't know why they don't put, just put a black label thing on there, but it's gotta be out of continuity but you kind of th- at least i thought by the end of the dc vampires series that the good guys would win the day well this is like we're jumping forward um a number of years and it even says the fallen city known as gotham seat of power of the vampire kingdom so we're jumping ahead years after what i assume would be the end of that dc versus vampires story and so this sort of feels like a what if like okay, what if the heroes lose and the vampires do, sort of take over? So I I, I don't know. I just don't know where it, where it fits in in the continuity. Or maybe, you know, it's kind of like the same thing with deceased. Uh, we're getting one more deceased series, and supposedly it's it's the, you know the end of the DC story that Tom Taylor always had in mind. But again, there's no black label on it, so you know all this stuff's supposed to matter and supposed to count, but. I don't know how you reconcile everything that's gone on with deceased. I don't know how you reconcile everything that's gone on with DC versus vampires. So, I don't know. Th- this felt a little predictable to me. Um, Damien is has been turned into a vampire, but he's still on the side of good because Dick Grayson's killed Bruce Wayne, and so he, <coughs> excuse me, he manages to stay on the, the side of good even though he's a vampire and he goes up against Dick. And obviously there's a lot of history there. Alfred's alive in this one as well. So it's sort of all over the place from a continuity standpoint. And it just kept pulling me out of the story because I just don't know where this fits in. And maybe maybe you're not supposed to care, right? I mean, that's sort of the impression I get, like just read it for what it is. And uh, when I do that, if I set aside all my misgivings and questions about continuity, and where does it fit or whatever, it's an okay story. Um, again, I think the downfall of it is just super predictable. And usually with Matthew Rosenberg, I don't find his storytelling to be that predictable. Certainly in Task Force Z, uh, in his Grifter storyline that we talked about, I didn't find any of that to be predictable. But this felt very paint by the numbers. And even h- h- the humor that Rosenberg usually, um, usually imbues in his stories, it didn't land for me here. So... I don't know. I've been enjoying the DC versus vampires story up till now. But for me, this was a bit of a miss. It just it wasn't really that exciting. It didn't really give me anything new that I was expecting. It certainly seems like a flash forward to a possible future after the current DC versus vampires story ends. So, like, I don't know, like, why release this now? Why not wait till the DC versus vampires limited series is over and then put this out? you know, a week or two after that. I, I don't know. It just felt a little weird and a little wonky because I don't know where, where it fits and don't know that it fits anywhere. Um, you know, like setting aside the continuity, just like tone wise, it just, it was a bit predictable. So, uh, I thought the art from Neil Gouge was pretty strong though. Really interesting, um, storytelling techniques that he gives us one of the pages where, uh, Damien's like falling down these stairs uh, was done really, really well. Really helped to sell the the sense of movement and whatnot. So, yeah, the the line work and the colors I thought were really, really great. But the story itself just kind of meh. What did you think?
1: Uh, well, I actually, I got I think I got a sense of maybe where it fits. I my understanding is that when when DC Vampires the main series returns, that there is a time jump. And that this takes place in between. But maybe at mm. this. And so and so Possibly. I think what this does, this issue, this this really helps solidify what I think is the central core character basis and the character foundation of the DC versus Vampire series. And that is the relationship between Dick Grayson, who is the king of the vampires, and and Damien, his relationship to Damien and the Bat family and Alfred. Because here, I mean, basically Damien is essentially undercover. Damien was turned and he became a vampire, but he's living off cow's blood. It's a little tropey, but he ultimately pretends to be working for. Uh, he he pretends to be working for the vampires under the vampire black mask, who reports to Dick Grayson. But you only get to see the king of the vampires if you perform or if you. Earn the right to see him, and in order to do that, you've got to uh, you've got to bring in some heroes in alive. And of course, uh, Damien does that by, with the help of Martian Manhunter, impersonating Alfred. He infiltrates and finally gets to meet Dick Grayson again uh, to attempt to kill him. Uh, but Dick Grayson doesn't want to, so uh, this is a. Uh, I think if I didn't know better, I think this is Matthew Rosenberg trying to pull off his best Tom Taylor impression for character moments, trying to create some character moments between Damien and Dick Grayson at a time you couldn't imagine a worse time to do so when they're vampires. Uh, but, but Dick Grayson doesn't want to kill Alfred. He doesn't want to kill Damien. Dick Grayson here, even though he's a vampire, he wants to keep Damien alive because Damien has somehow managed, despite becoming a vampire, has managed to hold on to his compassion his his ability to 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 still embrace some some righteousness in some way and some morality, which is uh, definitely unique amongst all the vampires. That's something that Damien is, is somehow managed to pull off, which is interesting because in the mainstream DC universe, Damien is sort of destined to become the Batman 666 of the future. And so there's at least one alternate future where, Batman, or, where Damien doesn't need to become a vampire. He becomes a villain naturally. So I find that sort of an interesting take here by Matthew Rosenberg, that Damien can maintain some sense of morality Damien is is in effect a de facto kind of like the DC equivalent of blade uh, but uh anyways I, I thought the I, I enjoyed the character work it was a, we get so much character work with with the bat family members that it it, it feels like I, I probably didn't need it but I think in, within the continuity of the DC versus vampires the importance of Damien as a figure and I think that relationship between Damien and Dick Grayson and Alfred, I think that might form the, the emotional core of the series moving forward, if if I was to venture a guess. But I, I didn't mind it. I, it was it was all right.
0: Yeah. It was it was all right. I I mean I'm curious to see it if, if you're right and when DC vs. Vampires a regular mini comes back, if it is after this time jump, then I think it works. Um, to give us context, to have this standalone on its own. Um, but man, again, I like throw, throw a black label symbol on there. Like <laughs> let's, let's know for sure. It's out of con- Like you have it. Why aren't you using it? doesn't make sense. Anyway, more Batman, because it's always Batman, uh, Batman beyond the white Knight, book three script art and covers by Sean Murphy. Dave Stewart handles the colors and will design handles the letters. Um, Man, this Bruce Wayne with the Joker in his head makes for some fun moments. What do you think of this one?
1: I like this. Uh, I, I uh, this uh, Sean Murph uh, Sean Gordon Murphy continues to uh, continues to impress uh, this series. I, I like this a lot better than than is than the second volume on Batman: The White Knight. Uh, the idea that Bruce Wayne, uh, the idea that Bruce Wayne and Harley Quinn got married because uh, so that way Harley Quinn couldn't testify against them because of spousal immunity uh, is, 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 is an interesting premise. Uh, and of course it hides the fact that, 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 these two love each other, Harley Quinn and Bruce Wayne are in love with each other. And it's basically, this reminds me a little bit of moonlighting, except it's not really all that, it's not as funny. Uh, but it's, uh, it's clear that, uh, what I think a lot of us were sort of like Harley, were Batman and Harley Quinn shipping, I think, or le- leading up to this. And so it's nice to see that uh, clearly Bruce Wayne is struggling with his, his affections for Harley Quinn. And isn't it interesting that in the early, in the initial series, Jack, the Joker, Jack, Jack Napier talked to his Joker self all the time. And then here we have in this v- third volume, bruce wayne talking to just like the joker talked jack napier talked to himself now we have bruce wayne talking to the joker uh, as well so it's it's kind of funny that you know like the perhaps the joker and bruce wayne have more in common jack napier and bruce wayne have more in common than they than they ever realized but um uh, uh there, there's a lot of fun to be had here uh jack uh I, while Jack is talking with Bruce and Bruce is hallucinating his conversation with Jack Napier, uh, Jackie, the, uh, uh, the Harley Quinn's two children, Jackie and Bryce, Jackie sort of escapes. She, she, she sort of run, runs away and Bruce Wayne, you know, he puts on an old suit. He puts on another bat suit because he's, he, he needs to find that somebody took the Batman beyond suit. Terry McGoonis stole the Batman beyond suit and Bruce uh, Bruce Wayne wants to find the suit and also he wants to find where Jackie ran off to. And Terry McGinnis, there's a, there's a, mo- there's another player who's convinced the Batman beyond that Bruce Wayne is responsible for killing his father, uh, Warren McGinnis. And so, uh, ultimately when Batman beyond ends up facing off against Bruce Wayne at the end of this issue, uh, he, uh, Bruce Wayne likely could have been more badly injured except for the the intervention of Duke uh Duke Thomas who was given uh an updated Robin suit from Barbara Gordon who who as uh as a police commissioner she wants Duke to resign from the Gotham PD and uh, and to try to take down the GT help Bruce Wayne take down the G, the corrupt GTO. So I really like how Sean Gordon Murphy has weaving all these plot points and it's it's really fun it's really interesting the arts fantastic of course i love the art uh, i think it's uh, the, the dialogue is great i i can't believe i i'm i'm not quite clear maybe i i'm not quite clear why bruce wayne is hallucinating talking to jack napier of all things i'm not sure if that's i don't know that seems out of the blue and yet oddly enough it works i actually enjoy it and I, I I love all the players here, man. I love the Murphy verse, man. Give this guy expand the Murphy verse. Give him his own planet. We got fifty-two Earths in the multiverse at a minimum. I mean, give him give him a planet. Give him call it Earth M or whatever, or that's milestone. Call it Earth Murphy or whatever you want to call it. But give this guy his own Earth. Uh, this is a lot of fun. Uh, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think basically they have. I mean, based on the success <laughs> of that first. Batman White Knight series, I mean, there hasn't not been either a Batman White Knight, you know, book coming out set in, in this version of the DCU or there's either one actively coming out or it's announced that it's being worked on. So, um, yeah, I think it works on a lot of levels. Uh, I agree with you, the whole Jack Napier thing. It's He's much more interesting to me as a character when he's not the crazy psychopathic Joker. Uh, I think it was explained in issue two that somehow Napier had set it up that he had a chip implanted in, in Bruce's head and that's why he sees him. But I don't uh, quote me on that because I, I, I might be misremembering, but it's something, along those, yeah, it's something along those lines. What I will say, um, just to nitpick though, is man, this is not something that you can just pick up and read. Um, unless you have a a good familiarity with Batman and and his supporting cast in the DCU, or you've read all of the, the Sean Gordon Murphy verse Um, this isn't really new reader friendly, but you know, there's, that could be said for a lot of comics. So I, I think it works. I think the art is dynamic and the fact that Sean gets to, you know, narrate the story from, you know, a, a writer perspective, just makes his art that much better because he's writing to his own strengths as an artist. So uh, I give him kudos to the, for that as well.
1: Yeah, and I should say that uh, there's also we we re- we learn more about uh, Derek Powers as we learn about his real name. We learn about his connections, about his his connections with Victor Freeze. And how he was actually the individual who's responsible for building a lot of the, the Batmobiles for Batman. And he had sort of a, a an arrangement that he sort of blackmailed Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne at one point wanted to fire him because he wanted to make weapons and sell to the military. Uh, but but uh, uh, because because Derek knew that Bruce Wayne was Batman he figured it out because he did all the he was almost like the Lucius Fox of the of the Murphy verse and so he sort of used that to sort of blackmail Bruce Wayne so that he was the guy building all the Batmobiles and and that's how that's how Wayne powers became or powers the Wayne powers industry was ultimately became formed that those are the formations of that early on so it's a really Kudos to uh, Sean Gordon Murphy for really building an, a, really, a really fascinating and interesting new history to uh, Batman and his mythology. It's very well done.
0: Yeah. Sometimes inadvertently, like I don't know if if everybody read the essay that was in the last issue when he talked about, you know, why uh, Jason Todd came first as, as Robin. It actually came from a mistake that he made. But uh, anyway, it makes for interesting reading and, you know – We've had so many Batman stories, so to have something that's a little different off the beaten path, definitely a good thing. Uh, Okay, up next we have Action Comics number 1043. This is from writer Philip Kennedy Johnson. The art in the main stories by Ricardo Federici and Will Conrad. Colors by Lee Luffridge. Letters by Dave Sharp. Then we have a backup feature also written by PKJ. The art in the backup is by Will Conrad. Colors by Lee Luffridge. Letters by Dave Sharp. So the... The background story, there's really not much to tell. Um, it is colored well. Uh, I'll say that right off the bat. Lee Luffridge, because it's a lot of green, and it could come across as monotone and muddy, and it doesn't. It's actually pretty solid coloring. Um, the art by Will Conrad is also very, very good. It's called "Myth of of the Mongol," and it's basically uh, the origin of, of Mongol. And you know, we know there's been you know more than one, and the sun basically replaces the father at some point when the, the son becomes strong enough or cunning enough to, to murder the father. Um, so that's, for anybody who doesn't know the story of Mongol, that's, I'm surprised they didn't put it in there sooner based on the fact that this war world story has been going on for a long time, but it's really helpful and, and it provides great context. As far as the main story goes, man, it felt like a really long issue for some reason. Uh, and a lot happens. It's very It's very fast-paced um, and it does tie in quite well to uh, to the uh, the backup story as well. Once we learn that Mongols got more um, more ambitions than just hey, I'm gonna rule war world and make people fight against each other. He he's got you know bigger plans than that. Plans to uh, obtain godlike power, basically by uh, finding some I almost want to call them gems. <laughs> it rem- really reminded me of the infinity gems, uh, at the end of the day, but the, these fragments of the old gods, um, that were scattered across the universe that, uh, wh- whoever wields them will have, uh, really remarkable power. So it's like, yeah, this feels a little familiar, feels a little, uh, Marvel-esque, feels a little infinity gems. Um, and I'm sure if there's any Marvel fans that read this, this, that's what they'll think as well. But in terms of Superman standing up for the little guy, um, it's a bit predictable at the end of the day. Uh, and that's kind of what we learn uh, when you start talking about the myths. And uh, even uh, Superman go, goes to part of the necropolis where all these stories are, are have been carved into rock, you know, centuries and centuries ago. And they're all prophetic, right? So either history's uh, repeating itself or time travel's involved or, or what have you. But um, it's clear that Superman is definitely the one that's inspiring and, and the one that needs to, to be there to, to lead these slaves to their ultimate freedom. Um, but I would be lying if I didn't say I feel like it's starting to drag a little bit. Uh, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of this idea anyway. Because as I've said before, I th- I'm a huge fan of the Roger Stern, Superman, Exile in Space story, and this just feels a little bit derivative of that uh, and not done quite as well or tightly. So I'm definitely ready for this to come to a conclusion. I hope this is the final arc. I thought we were heading toward the end, but I guess we have at least a few more issues to go. What do you think, Rocky?
1: I... Well, uh, I don't like you. I uh, we, we both share that. We both agree that this is a this is a good story. Uh, I think it's just a little better than how you think. I I think this is on par with the original uh, with the original John Byrne story, which I love. Uh, I think this is this is just raises the stakes a little bit. Uh, I I love this. I I actually even like the the idea that War World is a. Uh, one of the characters in the story described Warworld as a puzzle box to be solved, and if you solve it, you become and, and you are worthy. You you basically become you you obtain the the seven god aspects of the mighty Algrim, the original god of the of the of the universe. And each one of these seven god aspects, again, it's it, it is akin to you could you could compare it to the Infinity Stones or of, of the Marvel universe, but. It doesn't, in my view, it doesn't feel like an absolute. It doesn't feel like a complete copycat. I mean, the it, it feels like it's unique. It is unique unto itself, and uh, insofar as each one of these stones does have a different sort of uh, sort of emotion that it seems to encompass, and there are, you know, heck, yeah, of course, there are some of these. There are, there are similarities to the Infinity Stone, but it's unique. Frankly, it's such a cool concept. I don't mind that it's copied a little bit because, frankly, I think we need more of that in the DC universe. There's nothing wrong with imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And when you got an awesome concept like the Infinity Stones, DC deserves to have that. And if we're going to get that through this, these seven God aspects of the mighty Algrim God and that that war world itself is a mystery uh, to be solved, a puzzle box where where Mongol is looking to solve that mystery. He's looking to get his hands. And and he wants to get all those God aspects unto himself. And he wants to. And if if you're unworthy, you bring darkness and corruption to the universe. And if you're worthy, it's the opposite. And so already I can see where this is going. Uh, uh, I think it's... I I have a sneaking suspicion, of course, that in a battle between Mongol and Superman, Superman ultimately is gonna obtain the seven god aspects and he's gonna reject them because he doesn't he will refuse godhood and Superman will reject the stones, will will reject those god aspects and they'll be shot out to the universe. And then we're going to get seven new characters in the DC universe moving forward that are going to encompass all these God aspects of Grom in the future. So I actually like that. Right away, I'm making a prediction. I, I think this thing is, I think it's fairly predictable to guess that's what will happen because I can't see Superman, you know, Superman's obviously worthy, but I can't see him, you know, taking all these things unto himself, uh, and, and and obtaining some sort of godhood that's not who Superman is Superman has the power of a god but in the at heart he's the, he's got the heart of a man and uh the irony is that I don't I, I even though he'll be he's worthy i, I don't I, I don't see him accepting these God aspects at the end of the day but I really like the fact that we're, we're, all this rich mythology and war world th- this to me is a more interesting war world than we originally got even by John Byrne but uh in any event, um, Ricardo Federucci Federucci's art's fantastically Low Ridge on the colors. Fantastic! Uh, I'm enjoying this. I can't wait that this is in hardcover form. Uh, I, I hope this is an oversized hardcover form. This entire story, this entire series, because I'm I'm really in, I'm really enjoying this War World uh, saga so far.
0: Yeah, I do want to point out. I mean, because I am enjoying it as well. Uh, but the the initial exile in space was Roger Stern. Ah. Uh, uh. Set up, set, set up by John Byrne, by what Byrne did with Superman going and actually killing people, um, killing Zod and what had the other Phantom Zone criminals in an alternate universe where the plasma Supergirl came from. Um, and then Roger Stern took it over. That's when Byrne left the book. So, uh, All right. Up next, we have uh, Detective Comics number 1060, uh, main story by Mariko Tamaki and Nadia Shamus. Ivana Harris handles the pencils, Danny Mickey on inks, Brad Anderson colors, Ariana Mayer on letters. And then the backup, the Gotham girl backup, which I'm really, really enjoying is written by, uh, Sina Grace. The art in that is by David Lapham. Trish Mulvillehill handles the colors and Rob Lee on letters. Uh, what'd you think of the main story?
1: Um. Uh, yeah, I, I like the, the the main story. I'm I'm a little intrigued by the development of Deb Donovan's daughter being the. I guess she's she's kind of a. De- I guess she's kind of a. What is she? Is she a detective? I, no, she's the judge. The judge, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Right, and uh, the, the this idea that whoever this person is that's going around is causing people blackmailing people so that they actually kill themselves. In a fit of because they're so afraid that that they have to do something or they're they're being threatened or blackmailed, whoever whatever force is causing people to do this is must be a hell of a powerful force because I because uh, I'm telling you by the by the end of this issue here they find themselves on a rooftop and uh, uh, I'm. I don't know what's causing them. I, I, I found myself oddly enough con- confused by, by what was going on. I'm, I'm not really understanding, uh, what could cause these people to, to do like they're, they're obviously, to, I don't know. I mean the, the level of blackmail that would be required to have somebody to literally kill someone else. Uh, it just seems uh very, very odd to me. It's, uh, I'm not. Maybe I'm just missing something in the story, but it's 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 not really hitting. It's uh, I don't feel that uh, I don't feel that writer Maruka Tamaki. I, I don't feel invested in the characters enough to feel that I should be feeling more for these characters that are having to do something like kill each other. Or if I knew more what was causing them to do that, I, I I'm just not really feeling it. It just feels very empty to me. Even though they're doing these serious things, it feels emotionally empty to me because I'm not really feeling a connection. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not pulled into this story. I'm not really pulled into this story. I'm. I, I like Deb Donovan as a character. Uh, she's a. I I like the fact that she's working with Batman. I like that he's working with her, and uh, I like that uh, they're sort of they they're working together to try to figure things out. I'm. I'm a little bit. The Riddler here. I don't know this Riddler. That is the Riddler, is the radio host? Is he, or is that not?
0: Yeah, it's the Riddler putting out his daily podcast with. Because I don't know how he's crazy mustache and mutton chops. Yeah.
1: So why isn't Batman looking for him? He's a wanted fugitive, and how can he overcome this the the airwaves? I, I'm not. I'm not really understanding that. Why is he Why is he? I don't know. He 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 looks different than he normally does too. I, Maybe it's because I'm getting so much – we're getting a lot of Riddler lately too. Uh, I just feel I'm, – I'm not sure how all these dots are connected with, with between the Riddler. Is the Riddler but does the Riddler know who's blackmailing all this? Is the Riddler behind all this? I'm not really sure. Maybe when it's going to be all revealed. I, I, I wish we had more seeds planted to give us clues. Or in fairness, if the clues have been planted, I've missed them. But I feel like I've I feel like I've missed an issue, and I, I know I haven't. So, um, the art's fantastic. I really like the art, uh, but honestly, I I, I don't really uh, th- this isn't really resonating with me. This storyline, I'm not, I don't really feel uh, invested in what what the central uh, solution or s- central revelation to the mystery will be. I don't know what it, did you get more out of it.
0: Yes and no. I mean the uh, Yvonne Reese art obviously is outstanding. I mean, anytime that guy draws anything, I'm, I'm on board with it. I don't care what it is. It's it's, I mean, his art's amazing, but I get what you're saying. It's like, yeah, we know these people are, the, you know, the whole idea of these citizen criminals, these, these, you know, average Joe citizens who are committing these horrific acts, including Deb Donovan's daughter who, you know, planted the bomb in her own judges chambers. Um, yeah, like what could cause them to to do these horrific, uh, commit these horrific crimes? Obviously, they're brainwashed in some way. The Riddler's the obvious, uh, you know, w- person behind it. And Batman has said as much, but hasn't really gone out looking for the Riddler. He's more trying to solve the the mystery. But I agree with you. It's like it, it's hard to have a hook and to care about these people who are the quote unquote victims, but who are also the ones out there committing the crimes it's hard to to really care about them because we don't have any real emotional context and i think this issue is supposed to give us some emotional context with the scene on the rooftop we actually get the names of some of these people one of them jumps off the rooftop to, to kill herself she feels so bad for the things that she's done um and batman ends up having to save her um so yeah it it but it's it just feels a little clumsy it's it's one of those things where maybe too much mystery is like too much of a good thing um you know similar to the whole red x thing uh sometimes it's okay to just tell the reader what's going on even if the characters in the story don't know you don't have to give us 100 percent, but you can give us a little bit um like is it the riddler that's behind this or is it not if it's not the riddler you could give us some other figure in a silhouette that uh, you know, don't have to give away who it is, but just give us a silhouette, give us, you know, a little context so we know it's not the Riddler or what connection he has to the Riddler or what have you. I think that would give it a little more, uh, a little more of a hook. Cause yeah, right now we're just, we're so lost because like Rocky said, there's not even any seeds. There's not even any hints here. Um, and I don't think I've missed anything, but there, there's just not enough planted for us to have any idea who's really behind this. And if it's not the Riddler, then then why is the Riddler doing a daily podcast where he's espousing these philosophical ideas about responsibility and whatnot while he's got a handlebar mustache and mutton chops that he's never had before. Um, and, and, you know, Rocky alluded to it. We've gotten a lot of Riddler lately. What is it about Batman villains where we can't just have a little bit of each villain, you know, throughout the year, it's gotta be Joker, 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 all a whole 10 years of nothing but joker and now okay it seems like they're backing off the joker a little bit now it's like okay every story's got to be the riddler batman has one of the best if not the single best rogues gallery you can make an argument for spider-man but the argument could be made that batman does like he has such a rich history of villains like why is it that we focus on only one of them at a time like if we're doing riddler in one book then give us mad hatter give us black mass give us Uh, Maxi Zeus give us uh, the Penguin you know give us Killer Croc there's so many to choose from Two-Face but man all we get lately is Riddler it's kind of annoying so or even create a new one you know or bring back Hush I'm always a big fan of Hush or um, Lincoln March we haven't seen Lincoln March in a long time or the Court of Owls yeah that's true so many so many uh, all right. Anyway, up next, speaking of Two-Face, uh, we have te- – oh. I, well, the backup. Real quick. The, yeah, the backup. Um, I'm really enjoying the backup. It's it's The backup is doing exactly what the main story is not doing um, in a way. There's a little bit of a mystery uh, or was a little bit of a mystery with who was posting these social uh, media posts as uh, Gotham Girl. We find out it's actually Gotham Girl's friend who was Claire's friend who supposedly committed suicide. Claire has her doubts about it, but he was doing so to kind of flush people out of the, of the woodwork, you know, kind of flush them out into the open. People that disliked Gotham girl and wanted to get back at her. Um, So he was in a roundabout way trying to help her, even though he didn't go to her and say so. I think there was some romantic feelings there as well. Um, But all, all those kind of emotional beats, the emotional hooks that we're not getting in the main story, we're getting a lot of that in the backup, so I give Cena Grace a lot of credit for that um, because there is the mystery, and we've gotten some more clues. And it, it it shows kind of the the weakness in that first story that Cena Grace is giving us. You know, he's not just saying, "Okay, here's exactly what's happening." Here's the answers to the whole mystery, but he's giving it to us a little bit at a time, and it makes us feel engaged in the story. Um, so I'm really enjoying it. And as far as storytelling goes, I mean, I think David Lapham one of the greatest comic book uh, narrative storytellers working today. So, you know, you can't go wrong with him. I, you know, aesthetically, his style is not my favorite because it's not super dynamic. But I, I don't care because the storytelling is just so strong. Um, you know, never once in a David Lapham comic do I ever have to go back to a previous panel and go, wait, what's going on between these two panels? Never, never happened. He's a fantastic storyteller. So. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the backup, probably my favorite Gotham girl story we've ever gotten. So, uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. what do you think?
1: Uh, but it's interesting uh, that, uh, the, the, the fact that her friend Andre might have been trying to warn her about who to go after, cause she created this blog about wanting to go after corrupt, uh, criminals, corrupt officials, et cetera, et cetera. And, and she thought maybe he was, maybe he was up to no good, but the only, Ended up ultimately killing himself, and I don't know. Maybe maybe he was murdered. Maybe somebody silenced him. He was trying to maybe warn her. We're not sure what it is, but uh, for whatever reason, Gotham Girl ends up going after Chase Meridian, uh, who uh, Doctor Chase Meridian, and it ends. Uh, it, it looks as if she's violently attacks her at the end of this uh, issue. But I'm I'm wondering if this is all in Gotham Girl's head because Gotham Girl herself is has got some mental health issues. And so it's interesting here that, you know, and Cena Grace is is playing with that mental health issues that, that Gotham girl absolutely has. And so we know that Dr. Chase Meridian is actually on this is actually is likely not a murderer because she's the new head of Arkham Asylum appointed that way by uh, Mayor Nagano. And so uh, this, this is interesting. I'm, I'm, you know, definitely I'm interested to see where this goes, I, you know, who's, you know, Gotham girl, she's, she's got a very different look than she did under when Tom, than when Tom King introduced her, I'm really curious to see where this goes, this has potential, and this is, uh, probably, I know Cena Grace has come under a lot of fire in some of, uh, the other things that, uh, he's written, but, uh, this has been, uh. So far I've been enjoying this, uh, which surprises me a little bit because I wanted a more traditional interpretation of, of Gotham Girl and this is not it, but I'm, I'm, I'm actually enjoying this. This is interesting and we'll see where it goes.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, okay, up next we have Task Force Z. This is from Matthew Rosenberg. Script, Jesus Moreno, Jack Herbert, and Vicente Sifuentes as artists. Adriana Lucas on Colors, Rob Leon Letters. Art is fantastic. I'm a huge fan of all three of those guys. Cifuentes uh, most likely is doing the uh, the inks over Jesus Moreno. I think Jack Herbert just does digital, um, so he's probably doing his his own art. Uh, it, it's kind. Of, this is kind of an interesting issue because we don't really get much in terms of the the task force. This is a very heavily uh, red hood issue. Jason Todd issue. Uh, we know that. They're out of Lazarus Resin, and the only place they know to get any so they can kind of reverse engineer it to keep the other members of Task Force Z alive that need it is to go and steal the sample that Jason Todd gave to Batman way back in the beginning of the series when he first put him undercover. So he doesn't want Batman to know what he's doing, but when he goes into the Batcave right after he... After Batman leaves, because he uh, has the rest of task forces, Z set up a dis- distraction across town. Todd Jason Todd sneaks in and Barbara Gordon is there and she immediately knows something's up. So uh, it's, it's a fun issue because even as all these other Bat family members show up and they all, in a way, they all talk down to Jason Todd. Uh, they're a little condescending, like, you know, we know what you're up to. We're one step ahead of you. Turns out he was two steps ahead of them uh the whole time including batman himself so um but he makes allowances for the fact that yeah he had to get batman out of the way because had batman been there he probably wouldn't have been able to stay two steps ahead of him so it's a fun issue it shows really shows the contrast between members of the bat family jason todd and versus tim drake jason todd versus dick Grayson, to a lesser extent jason todd versus cassandra kane um he really is different than any other uh, members of the Bat family. And so uh, I, I appreciated that aspect of it. I really appreciated the art. Um, still don't know, you know, if this is an ongoing, if this is a, a limited, but this is another one of those books that really shows that um, Matthew Rosenberg is very much at home in DCU. Like, I, I love this book. And when it started, if you told me, and I think I even talked a little bit about it, like, man, we already have Suicide Squad. Why do we need this? Um, basically an undead Suicide Squad. And Jason Todd's leading them. Like, why is he leading a group of bad guys? And then, then we found out that the, uh, the man behind it all was Two-Face, Harvey Dent. And you raised questions about that guy. How could this work? Matthew Rosenberg makes it work. He makes it work. He makes it compelling. Um, I... Yeah, he's he's fantastic, uh, Matthew Rosenberg. Whether he's writing Grifter or Jason Todd, like these tangential Bat characters that are kind of on the outside looking in, he does a fantastic job. It makes me wonder uh, what his take on Batman himself would be. Um, not that I want Chip Zdarsky to leave before he's even gotten <laughs> started, but I'm I'm curious. Like I w- I wouldn't mind seeing Rosenberg follow Zdarsky. You know, or follow Rom V's uh, detective run. So uh, I think Rosenberg has a a really, I I don't know. I mean, I know I've met Matthew a few times. I know he's a giant X-Men fan. I don't know how big of a Batman fan he is. Um, But he sure knows how to write these Bat family characters really, really well. Very authentic voices. So big, big fan of this series. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I I liked Matthew Rosenberg, he knows the Bat family. He actually, he's really good at dialogue between them. He knows their characters well, the, the, the way that they sort of, like, they joke around with each other, and yet they're very serious, and yet they, he, you know, Jason Dodd, you know, my favorite scene is when he actually breaks uh, Tim's nose <laughs> and hits him with a crowbar and does actually, hits him pretty hard, actually. I, was, I thought it was kind of cruel, but, you know, you know, t- when you can write Nightwing, uh, Red Hood, uh, you know uh, Red Robin and and Cassandra Cain, Barbara Gordon, Batman, all in one issue, and it's and it's basically Red Hood sort of get taking them on a little bit of a wild goose chase there and a little bit of misdirection, very well done, and it pulls it off in all it all in kind of a single issue. This is sort of like a done in one almost that all you need to know is that. Red Hood wants to obtain some Lazarus resin uh, from the bat cave and he manages to do it but Nightwing knows he's up to what he's up to and Barbara Gordon and the rest of the bat family try to stop him but Jason Jason Todd manages to get one up on all of them because he knows the bat family so well precisely because he is a member of the family and that's the one thing about being a member of the bat family if it, if any my theory is that any member of the Bat Family, if you if they if they were if they planned to be deceptive to deceive the other members of the Bat Family, they can do it because all of them know each other so well, and so the fact that Jason Todd could pull this off in such a way that he could get one up on his own family, and and not harm them, um, but he's, he's he's willing to harm them as he, as he tells Tim much to Tim's chagrin by having his nose broken. Uh, again, just well done, and uh, you know that's matthew rosenberg continues to impress you know we, we we really enjoyed his first initial work with dc with the long con uh with uh with uh introducing you know bringing back uh uh grifter and the wildcats and you know he continues to impress with this task force said but yeah no definitely w- well done and uh, herbert on the arc lucas on uh, adianne lucas on the colors this uh, series continues to impress
0: yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, I, I wish I heard more people talking about it. Yeah. Uh, okay, up next we have Harley Quinn. This is The Verdict, Part 3, from writer Stephanie Phillips. Art by Riley Rosmo, Yvonne Placencia on colors, letters by Anne World Design. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Um,
1: well, uh, I thought this was actually predictable. I actually, uh, I, did, I did actually have a, a theory on who the verdict is. This, this character known as the verdict that was, uh, you know, uh, taking out, you know, uh, the new enemy, arch nemesis of Harley Quinn, and it ends up that is, in fact, that that is, it is in fact who I thought it was, but uh, that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy reading it. I, I thought, uh, Stephanie Phillips, I, I think has done a, this is, is that a fun job sort of weaving this tale Um, in, in this particular issue, uh, uh, Batwoman actually breaks. She had previously Batwoman had previously broken Harley Quinn out of, out of prison. And they're looking for essentially, they're looking for the verdict. And, um, uh, you know, Harley Quinn is, basically kind of, well, I mean, she thinks she's going undercover and she draws a bunch of makeup on her face. Harley Quinn is crazy and zany. If you've been, if you've been reading Stephanie Phillips and uh, uh, Harley Quinn run so far, particularly the way Riley Rosmo, uh, his very stylistic form of illustrations, the way that he draws the characters uh, there, there is, there's actually a unique kind of humor to it that if you've, if you've been along the ride so far, uh, I think it, it, I can't help but to enjoy it. I just, I've come, this, this series has grown on me now. Having said that, I think it lost its way a little bit in some of the earlier issues because of fear state, but this is fun. I I like the fact that Kevin's girlfriend, Samantha, Sam, uh, she she ends up being the one who uh, ultimately ends up being, uh, you know, ultimately injured in her trying to take out Harley. And she finds her way back to Kevin's apartment at the end. And, the relationship between Kevin and Samantha has been I think reasonably well developed early on in the in the in the earlier issues. I think Stephanie Phillips has done a reasonably good job building up these uh, sort of like a new kind of rogues gallery for Harley and uh, has done a good job developing characters and particularly Kevin and this, this new girlfriend Samantha who looks like she's the verdict. And uh, even even Batwoman in this issue, I mean, there's there's some craziness here and there's some, uh, there's some wonkiness. And I will say that Stephanie Phillips Harley is a very is a different, she's much more kind of, she's more uh, car, cartoony uh, in her sensibilities and a little bit more wacky and crazy than, than the the Harley that you would normally see in, in pages of Batman, and it it that's why sometimes it seems out of out of uh, it just seems out of sync. This reading Harley Quinn this com reading Harley Quinn in the pages of her own comic uh, versus even with Teeny Howard last week with Catwoman uh, that seemed a little bit a slightly different kind of Harley there too, but. Um, Hurley Quinn is always one of those things it's she's like Wonder Woman I mean she's she's got people either focus on her craziness and she's insane and then she's wacky and lovable but then they can make her more serious for so, when they need to here this is Stephanie Phillips trying to pull out as much humor as she can and just wackiness and fun and trying to get hitting the emotional as many as many emotional points as she can with with the supporting cast, Kevin, and this verdict and character. And what's the motivation of this verdict? It it, it appears to be because maybe she's jealous of, of Harley and her relationship with Kevin. Uh, in any event, what, what I found particularly interesting here is Harley Quinn in this issue actually talks quite a bit about Ivy. And she talks about, uh, even though Ivy doesn't even appear in this issue once, Ivy she talks about how Ivy helped her uh, helped her work on herself and um, for whatever reason I think I don't think DC is letting Stephanie Phillips use Harley or use Ivy in this series and maybe it's because of the the Poison Ivy series coming out I don't know but a large part of this issue was Harley Quinn reflecting on her relationship with Ivy and what she learned from her relationship with Ivy (laughs) and Ivy's not even in the comic And that's what I found so interesting. Why not let Stephanie Phillips work with Ivy when, when she got to use poison Ivy for those couple of issues was actually, I think the better issues. So I'm a little bit frustrated that you, you know, this issue so much of it in the narration, in the thought balloons of, of Harley Quinn, she's reflecting on Ivy and we don't have Ivy in the comic book. And that's, that's frustrating, but we do get some character development. We got a, a significant revelation as to who verdict is. And, Riley Ross Riley Mozart can, can, continues to be as stylistic as it ever is. And uh, overall, uh, you know, uh, it was if, – if you're in this, I enjoyed it. I, I'm, I'm curious to see where this is going. And I, I just wish we could get Ivy back in this series because, I mean, cause she's never really been in it as much as she, sh- she should be. Yeah, I think
0: 100% <clears throat> it's editorial driven why Ivy's not in this book. I mean, I think if Stephanie Phillips had her way, Ivy would be in it. We got those few issues to explain why Ivy's not in it. You know, she's out on the road discovering herself. And yeah, I I 100% think it's because she has her own series coming. So will that fundamentally change who Ivy is? Will it ruin chances for Ivy and Harley to be together? I mean, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, As far as this particular issue, I enjoyed it as well. You know, I've talked a lot about not really being much of a Harley fan, and Stephanie Phillips really stresses the intelligence level of Harley, uh, and that's what I I like. She doesn't usually go zany, but she does in this issue because Batwoman gets to kind of play the straight man to Harley's nonsense. And I, I, you know, even though I typically don't like the zany, wacky Harley, I I prefer her a little more cerebral. It works in this issue because you have, again, Batwoman playing that straight man to land all the jokes. So the humor works really, really well. And at the end of the day, there are a few comments from Harley here or there that remind us that she's you know, one of the smartest people in the, the DCU, um, certainly from a, a psychological standpoint. So I think that all works really, really well. Uh, as far as the art goes, yeah, I mean, what can I say? Uh, Riley Rosmo's art is an acquired taste. I, it's a taste I have acquired. Uh, he is a, a good choice to, to draw this book because it, it is so stylized and wacky. And there's a sweetness and an innocence to Harley when Stephanie Phillips writes her. And that comes through in the style that Riley Rosmo uh, gives us here. So um, I, I continually say, uh, Harley is one of those books. I'm going to stop reading it because um, I'm just not that interested. But yet it shows up and I read the first couple pages and I always get sucked in. So... Uh, Kudos to uh, the whole entire creative team because uh, they're turning me into a Harley reader. Uh, (coughs) Excuse me. Okay. Up next, we have uh, Robin number 14, the aforementioned is part seven of shadow war written by Joshua Williamson. Roger Cruz handles the pencils, Norm Ratman on inks, Luis Guerrero on colors, Troy Petrie on letters. Uh, It picks up right where the last issue left off with uh, Batman and Robin. in the, the ruins of that, uh, that costume factory or, or tailor whatever you want to call it in, in Central City. And um, Batman goes to check in with Ghostmaker. He finds out all the members of the secret society have basically been, I can I, I, I hate to say they've escaped because they were under Ghostmaker's protection. They've left basically. And uh, Deathstroke has, has them, you know, back directly working for, for him. And, uh, Batman is kind of considering, hey, what's going on? Maybe Deathstroke took them all and, and thinks he has a better place for them to hide. And Robin says, no, I know exactly where they went. Because remember, based on the death of Respawn, Deathstroke wants Talia's uh, death more than ever. And so he's got his group of secret society of supervillains, and they're all taking the fight directly to the League of Shadows in Nepal. So that's the majority of this issue with um the different members of the Secret Society of Supervillains fighting members, ninjas, demon ninjas, or whatever you want to call them, from a League of Shadows. And we have Deathstroke and Talia that are squaring off as well. And then, of course, Batman and uh, and some members of Batman Incorporated, along with Ghostmaker and Damien, crash the party. And they're trying to um, keep the peace, as it were, and make sure everybody makes it out alive. And... <clears throat> Once Damien finds out that Respawn has been killed, uh, you, it, it's a really impactful moment from Joshua Williamson. He does a good job, uh, and you can tell Damien's really hurt by it because he considered this this clone to be a brother in a lot of ways. Um, the, the fight between Talia and Deathstroke is brutal, and it's very well illustrated from... Uh, from Roger Cruz. I mean, just a fantastic, fantastic fight. And Talia actually wins. She actually wins the fight. She actually stabs Deathstroke, um, does enough damage that even his healing factor can't bring him back to life. And then we see the uh, fake Deathstroke make his appearance with Batman saying, hey, all along, this guy's been pulling the strings. He knew what would happen if Ra's al Ghul was killed. He knew it would cause Deathstroke and Talia to go to war with each other, and that's exactly what he wanted to happen. So if you're wondering, hey, who is it? Who would hate Deathstroke that much? Who would hate Talia that much? Um, At the end, he stands revealed Geoforce, uh, you know, the the Prince of Markovia. Who else would have uh, a grudge against these two horrible people? Deathstroke, Slade Wilson, and Talia al Ghul. Well, we know Deathstroke uh, seduced and sort of almost in a way brainwashed um, Tara way back in the day of the Judas contract, Teen Titans story. Uh, not not to mention how creepy it is in current context. Slade's like in his late 40s, yeah, <laughs> mid 40s maybe, and she was like 13 or 14 at the time. Like really. Creepy, gross. When you think about it, um, but yeah, she was she was killed. She she betrayed the Titans and and was killed. So of course, Brian Markov holds a, a grudge against him. And then, as far as Talia Al Ghul, well, she started Leviathan. That Mark Shaw eventually took over. And whether or not you think it's a good story or not, and we don't. Um, at the end of the day, Leviathan basically bought. Markovia and then destroy it, you know, with uh, all the battles and Leviathan eventually being vanquished and whatnot. So, yeah, Brian Markov's got animosity for these two, like you wouldn't believe. Um, interesting that, I mean, it makes perfect sense, but interesting that Joshua Wimpson. I mean, in a way, and we'll talk about it more when we get into the last couple issues. Um, in a way, he takes them beyond redemption, but it's not like anybody was using really using shield Forest. Like I always liked him as a character, but he was sort of vanilla. There wasn't really anything that that was that special about him um, personality wise, but I don't know. It it is a little bit of a cliche, right? Just like the taking, you know, uh, Harley Quinn and turning her into a hero or taking black Manta and turning him into a hero, like, or, you know, go over the other side of the street, Sandman or venom or, you know, any number of characters. And then there's the other cliche where it goes the other way. You take a hero and turn him bad. You know, it's like, man, we've run out of story ideas for this hero. We'll, we'll, we'll turn him evil. Or we'll turn him bad, turn him to the dark side. But I mean, at least it does make sense, um, you know, that, that Brian Markov would, would go over to the, the side of devils based on the fact that, man, he really... He really despises these two for what they've done to his family and his country. Um, So, yeah, all in all, a really strong issue um, and satisfying to see the reveal of who we thought it was all along. So uh, anyway, what do you think, Rob?
1: I I, I liked it. I liked it. Uh, As I said, if there was one – criticism, uh, constructive criticism is that this was I, I think to any anybody with a little bit of a DC background, we all saw this coming. It was obviously GeoForce. I mean it couldn't be anybody else. The clues were there right from the beginning. And and yet uh and, and even and even Williamson at the end here in the final page, you know, it you know, he, he indicates that uh it, it says GeoForce WTF. You know, like what do you mean? Like, what the hell? Like, are you serious? Of course it's Geoforce. It, it really couldn't be anybody else. It makes the most sense. I think he's a great choice for, uh, I, I I consider him, to me, Force is, uh, what a great way to elevate him. I mean, first of all, I mean, if he's got any of the genes that his sister had, he's got a little bit of, uh, <laughs> he's got a little bit of villainy in him. And let him be an hero. He's he, he's the leader of Mar- former leader of Markovia. Let him be a little bit kickass. A little bit. Let him be a little bit more hardcore. Let him be a little bit more of the Let him actually be the Doctor Doom of the universe. He's a hell of a lot more interesting than, than Leviathan. That is goddamn sure. And so let's go with that. Uh, this is interesting. I I like I re- I love this development. You know, give GeoForce some gravitas, some agency again. Uh, he was a boring character on Batman and the Outsiders. I mean, Batman and the Outsiders is frankly a boring team makeup anyway. Uh, actually, I, I thought it was better its last incarnation. I actually enjoy it much more. And I'm I'm glad Geo Force wasn't really part of the team. To be honest with you, because so this make him a villain, and he's the leader of a country. Uh, he he's been he he should be killing Deathstroke. I mean, who's going to prosecute him for killing Deathstroke? Who would prosecute him for, for taking Tally out? He'd be a hero of the United Nations for God's sakes. I mean, if he plays his cards right and plays his diplomacy right, and maybe doesn't go too crazy, like unfortunately maybe he is going crazy here. Uh, but I, I, I really like this development. I think it's very well done. And, um, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, when
0: I sit here and think about it, you make him a Submariner like character, right? Where, yeah. or, or, or Black Adam, you know, where he's like, I'm not a good guy or a bad guy. You know, I don't, I'm not going to look at myself or, or kind of judge myself by those terms anymore. I just want what's best for my country. Yeah. You know, if that pisses people off, then, you know, whatever, fuck you.
1: Well, imagine if, if, ma- imagine if the same thing happened to Black Adam. Imagine if you went, in fact, it did at one time, it led to World War Three. That Black Adam had ISIS taken out. And a few, I mean, but I mean, uh, really, I mean, he is, a, he is like a Black Adam. I mean, so yep. it's going to be interesting if he has the same character arc that Black Adam did. I mean, uh, he's got every right to, to seek some uh, revenge. And I mean, this was arguably, uh, I mean, I guess it maybe wasn't directly an act of, well, I guess it was kind of an act of war, really. Uh, and now he's, he's taking his country back. I mean, there's so many political machinations that can arise from this in a very interesting way. That's what I, I, that's what I enjoy about this so much. And while this is going on with Geoforce now being re- revealed as the guy who wants to take out Talia and Deathstroke and a master stroke, uh, we can't forget that we got this demon Nizha, uh that is playing out in the pages of Mark Waid's uh, World's Finest that the demon will rise, but it's not necessarily Raza that will rise. It will be the demon Niza. And if you want the origin of the demon Niza, check out, uh, you know, those first three issues of World's Finest that we reviewed and uh, that are at your local comic book shop, guys. Because I I think I really like what's going on here. I like that Williamson's working with Mark Wade, (laughs) and that what we thought was just uh, an old Mark Wade tale with Mark Wade. Entertaining us with his wild imagination, that actually this has consequence. That this this is Mark Wade working with Williamson. That they actually have something planned. That this is actually going somewhere. I like that. Maybe the pieces don't neatly fit at this point, but I'm sure they will at some point. And so, I mean, Mark Wade knows how to work collaboratively, and he does it. He did it quite well, in my view, when he was over at Marvel on the Avengers titles uh, with those with the number of Avengers series. But I don't want to digress too much, but. Let's just say that I, I think this is a very good development. I'm happy with this and I'm, I'm really excited moving forward to see where this takes us.
0: Yep, agreed 100%. Which is why I couldn't wait and I had to go read the rest of Shadow <laughs> War. Sorry, everybody. Don't want to rub in that we have preview copies, but we'll be talking about it. We'll be talking about the end of that soon enough. Uh, speaking of ends, uh, Teen Titans Academy number 15, the final issue, commencement part two from writer Tim Sheridan. Tom Dernick is the artist. Peter Pantazis and Matt Herms do the colors. Rob Lee on letters. Uh, finally, uh, we're being put out of our misery, Rocky. What would you think of the final issue?
1: <clears throat> How nice of you to let me go first on this one. Good grief. Uh, <laughs> it's your turn. Well, it's the- <laughs> Sure it is. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we'll go with that. Uh, well, the title says it all. The Legacy Continues. And, of course, it's totally misleading because the legacy doesn't continue. The legacy has ended here with Teen Titans Academy. I mean, do we want to see this again? Um, Look, uh, the nicest thing I can say about this uh, ending issue is that we get Shazam in it. And uh, he hints at us getting Mary Marvel to a Mary Marvel series. Then I look forward to that. Uh, at the end of the day, Teen Titans Academy was an experiment that failed because it focused too much on Red X, a character that wasn't very interesting. And the characters that we could find interesting just weren't developed, really developed as much as we would like. But they could be potentially interesting in the future in the hands there of, dare I say, a, a different writer. Um, but uh, this issue called Commencement Part 2, I'm not... Right away, I find this confusing. I don't. W- w- we start off in the middle of an adventure where Shazam is. I don't know. I, I guess he's on apocalypse. At first, I thought that he was in hell again, and that there was the big. There was this door. I thought, is he is Shazam in hell again? And Neuron's going to show up, but no. Apparently, he's Shazam's being exper- experimented upon by Desaad, and uh, the Teen Titans. They, they rescue him, and so Billy Batson. He's so happy. The Billy side of Shazam is so happy that he's been rescued. Um, meanwhile, the uh, Chuku uh, Cabra's buddy, his artist buddy there, is I don't know, is happy drawing him as a superhero. So there's some there's some nice character moments here. I want to give, I want to at least end on giving Tim Sheridan some credit here. There is some character moments here. At least Tim Sheridan, this might be the final issue, but he's still giving us some character work for these characters and I, I i i don't think i don't think this was a terrible issue i i don't uh, i just i just but it this this series has always lacked a certain amount of self-awareness in terms of what it of how good of how <laughs> how frustrating it is to actually read at times but um let's just say that i'm i'm glad that uh, we we got we got Chico Cabra sort of coming into his own. He's got like... He looks like a... He looks like a more cool version of Man Bat. And um, there's some really nice art here. I mean, some of the art here is... You know, it's it, it's pretty good. I mean, I got to give... Uh, I mean, who is the... I should give the credits here. Uh, oh, yeah. Tom Derenek on the art was pretty good. And Herms on the... On Pantazis on the uh, coloring. But anyways... I'm glad it's over. One of the things that I really don't like at all, which uh, I find extremely frustrating, is the fact that even though that Changeling and Cyborg are separated now, they're only separated because of a magic trick that Raven has done. They're, They're still linked psychologically in their minds, but Raven pulled some sort of magic that to outside observers, they look like they're two separate beings, but they're really not. They're still linked. And why would you do that? It it's of all the things that of it. I just think that's a really really stupid idea. That it has dumb story potential. Who on earth would want to write a cyborg story now? If you got to deal with changeling, who would want to write a changeling story if you got to deal with cyborg? I mean, to me, it's like if you want to write write that type of story, don't we we have firestorm? I mean, you know what I mean? I I don't see. Uh, There's some aspects to this that I'm just glad it's over. I'm glad it's over. And um, again, anybody in the DC Universe, to parents in the DC Universe, if you are sending your child to Teen Titans Academy, say goodbye to your child, there's at least a a 1 in 10 chance they will be dead before the end of the first semester. Possibly burned alive, head chopped off, uh, betrayed by their fellow students. There's bullying that goes on unchecked. The teachers are all superheroes battling supervillains all the time. They're irresponsible. They they every every this you're not allowed to know the names of your other students. You're not allowed for all you know your your son or daughter going to this academy could have a roommate that's. Has superpowers that could be dangerous. You just don't know. Avoid this school like the plague. And if you're gonna send your kid there, make sure you have insurance in place. You lawyer up. Cause uh, you know, uh, anyways, uh <laughs> Charles, this is not Charles Xavier's school for gifted students. Let's put it that way. This is this is a liability to both uh in the real-world DC universe and in uh for for readership. <laughs> anyway, how did you feel about it?
0: Uh, yeah, I can kind of sum it up and exactly what you said you didn't like about it. So Cyborg and Changeling are sharing a body and, you know, each of their distinct minds and personalities are in this body. It's a stupid idea. I agree with you. It doesn't work so much so that nobody, DC doesn't want anybody to have to deal with it, deal with what Tim Sheridan did. So they come up with this dumb idea, like you said, of saying oh raven's going to cast an illusion so that from the outside looking in it looks like they're two separate people how the hell does that work we even see like raven at one point she's going over and she's kissing on garth and she's hugging him whatever so like when you say illusion you mean like holodeck like from star trek where it, it, yeah yeah it's so this idea is so bad you're you're going to undo it but it, so if you're going to undo it just undo it But no, we might want to like. I don't know. Are you trying not to make Tom, uh, Tim Sheridan feel bad, or or you have plans for it later on? Well, maybe somebody can come up with a good idea for how to separate. It's just dumb. Just separate them. This was a dumb idea to put them together in the first place. Um, again, like I think the failure of the series was Tim Sheridan had too many ideas. Comes from the world of animation where you can get a lot more story in kind of shorter periods of time. Uh, you know, it's not live action, but it's it, you know, it's it's storytelling that that has you know movement on the screen, animated movement. You can get a lot more story, you know, same amount of script or whatever, a 20-page script for an animated feature that's like five minutes. You know, well, no, th- this is this is your whole monthly comic, Tim. Like, too many ideas. He needed. A, he he's um, not a bad writer. But he's, I think he's a writer because he's relatively new and he comes from the world of animation. He needs a very strong editorial hand. You know, a lot, 90% of what he wrote, well, let's say 80% of what he wrote here should have ended up on the cutting room floor. Um, and that would have given us a, a tight, concise story and it probably would have worked. Maybe even the idea of Cyborg and Changeling mashed together would have worked. But too many things, none of them fleshed out well enough. None of them explored well enough. It ultimately led to the, the failure of the series in my mind. So, yeah, like we do need a Titan series. Don't get me wrong, but it's not this. If you're going to give us Teen Titans Academy, then get, you know, I, I shouldn't see Nightwing or Changeling or Cyborg or Raven or Star. No, just focus on the students. Give me that. Uh or, if you want don't want to do that, then don't give us a Teen Titans Academy book. Give us a regular Titans title. So it's, it's like they, DC doesn't know what to do with it, you know, because they created the, the young Teen Titans when Damien was leading them with, you know, Crush and uh, Chupacabra and whoever else was in it. Uh, and then that was okay. And then, well, but we don't have a Titans title either. Let's just mash them all up. Let's just throw the old Titans, the new Titans, and some brand new characters together. Uh, even some characters from Gotham Academy, we'll just put them all in one book. No, like it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's too much. It's too much. And then you get a writer who is inexperienced with, uh, you know, the real estate, how much real estate to use on the page and pacing and whatnot. And yeah, this, this was ended up being a pretty painful series to, to get through. Um, again, no disrespect to anybody involved. I know they did their best, but yeah, this was doomed from the start. Uh, just, just, Bad, bad premise. Too too many, too many characters. This never could have worked. And then, like you said, half half the plot, a third of the plot, is the Red X mystery that we had shoved down our throat. No, didn't work. Like that. If you had just focused on that, that was enough. That was enough for the whole series. But yeah, didn't work. Uh, all right. <clears throat> Last book we're going to talk about is Swamp Thing number thirteen, Machination. From writer Rom V, Mike Perkins is the artist, Mike Spicer on colors, Aditya Bittikar on letters. Man, the art is so good in this book. It's like from the line work to the colors, it's just beautiful. Um, twist and turns from Rom V, at the at the end of this issue, Swamp Thing basically gets fired. Like there's so much that happens in this in this issue and only like 20, 22, 23 pages. Um, Swamp Thing basically gets fired as the Avatar, and his brother, of all people, gets hired because there's a war coming. We've seen this this factory. We've seen Jack Hawksmore, and this idea of progress and, and this factory that is kind of running out of control, running amok, going up against the green. Well, now it's to the point where this idea of, of progress or technology or industry or whatever you want to call it, these machines are going to war with the... Uh, with the green, right? So it's a it's a whole new idea of another avatar. We have the rot. It's the uh, Parliament
1: of Gears versus the Parliament of Trees.
0: Yeah, eventually. exactly. So we've had three. We've had three basically colors before, right? Like we've had the green, uh, which is nature. We've had the red, which is like blood, life, what have you. Kind of similar to the green, but more hu- you know humanized. Uh, and then you have the black, which is the rot. And that's kind of been the cycle. And now we're introduced to this new parliament, the parliament of gears or, or, you know, technology or what have you. And it's an interesting idea that Ram V um, introduces us to this idea of, okay, what is this factory making? Why does this factory exist? The factory just exists in order to perpetuate itself. It doesn't matter what it produces as long as it consumes and produces whatever it is, right? So it's just this idea of technology sort of perpetuating itself. Um, which is sort of very much the antithesis of what the green is uh, with, you know, the circle of life and, you know, with the blood and, and the rot and everything. And so it, that's an interesting idea. So now this parliament of gear is ready to go to war with the parliament of trees and the parliament of trees doesn't feel that Levi Kamei is a, a strong enough soldier basically. And so they fire him as the avatar of green and take his brother instead, who obviously is much more, uh, what do they call it? His brother says war calls for an, avat- an avatar better suited to it. Um, so obviously Levi's is very distraught and disappointing in this, and he goes back home um, and he's trying to figure out what his next step is when Green Lantern shows up and says, oh, uh, Batman suggested I come and talk to you because there, there are these ships or some kind of uh, structures or whatnot that are coming to Earth from deep space, and they're botan—they look botanical in nature, um, and uh, and Levi Kame says, "Yeah, they're they're here to fight a war. It's this it's this war that's about to start." So, yeah, a lot happens in this issue from uh, Levi getting fired as the avatar of the uh, of the green of the trees. We've got the whole idea explanation of of what the Parliament of Gears and this factory is, uh, even though. Uh, swamp Thing and Jack Hawksmore team up to to sort of, sh- you know, shut it down in the short term, the, the factory that was running under old Detroit, um, the part, you know, the bigger uh, entity of the Parliament of Gears is, is ready to go to war. Plus we have Trinity, which uh, shows up, which I didn't even talk about, which takes up like the middle part of the, the issue, which is this being that sort of spontaneously appeared uh, out in the desert where, a bunch of nuclear testing had taken place and she's radioactive and she has her own ideas of, um, of what humanity is and, and isn't. And, you know, she's very naive in a lot of ways, but also sort of vindictive in a lot of ways. So she's an interesting character. Uh, It's just, it's hard to believe how much story we got in, um, in one issue like Rom V did a fantastic job of of really pulling in a lot of different threads. You kind of wonder, man, if team Titans Academy had been written by Rom V, he might've been (laughs) able to keep most of those plates spinning and made it would have made it a pretty interesting uh, series, I think, but I don't know. His stuff tends to be really kind of dense. So I don't know that it would work in a, you know, a teen, teen setting, but. Anyway, I
1: would love to see him try though. I'd love to
0: see him try. Oh yeah. Oh, 100 100%. 100% love to see him try. But again, this is just like um just like Harley Quinn, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan, whatever. Uh but Stephanie Phillips pulls me in. I'm not a big fan of swamp thing, but Ram V pulls me in, man. He pulls me in every time. This is such a high quality comic. What do you think? Yeah.
1: Well, I uh, I love he continues Ram V continues to build on the idea of the ideas. uh and that is there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come and but you know what a really bad idea can lead to rot it can lead to what uh under underneath the city that jack hawksmore has discovered is this factory and uh, these bad ideas have led to rot and it's growing and it's it's feeding in this, this parliament of gears which is becoming very powerful and um Jack Hawksmore is the king of cities, and so he can track – he knows that something is off. And this, this factory where this parliament of gears is becoming more powerful, powered by these crazy and bad ideas, uh, it, it's interesting. Again, it's so rich with metaphor. I mean you can read in whatever you want to it. It's just, it's just riddled with it. Uh, the green has the power to swallow up a bad idea. Uh, in fact, Swamp Thing did that in an earlier issue, where his, his the Green actually swallowed up uh, uh, an idea that was sort of the metaphor of the idea was a was a was an old World War II bomb in London that where you know it was you know it was it was fed and given life by these bad ideas, and he, the Swamp Thing sort of swallowed it up the Green, defeated it. But it's the the idea that. I like what Ra- how Ramvi is thinking. He's taking this technological age that humanity is, we're, as we're entering into exponentially, and it's creating a parliament of gears and with that becomes, comes great power and a lot of great ideas, but also a lot of potentially corrupt ideas that, that technology can bring us. And it's sort of embodied by this Trinity character that represents the nuclear age, the atomic age, which was arguably a bad idea, but maybe has some good ideas as well in terms of energy and uh, <laughs> limitless energy and what have you. And But then we also get the, the downside of technology. And is this a good idea or a bad idea? And what's the difference between a good idea and a bad idea. Well it's how you approach it it's what you do with it. It's and it's and 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 then in the midst of all this we have as you said Swamp thing was fired Levi Kame was was fired his brothers taking over. But Levi as as Levi sort of goes off back to uh Jennifer who he's now been intimate with and they've sort of this issue started off with them being intimate with each other uh, uh implied that they obviously told each other finally how they feel. There's a, there's an old parliament of the uh, former member of the, uh, one of the members of the parliament of the trees who, who was the one who originally chose Levi to be the swamp thing. She says to him, look, you stick around because they're going to need you. And they're eventually going to, they're going to realize that they made a mistake by not using you. And the reason why they made a mistake, Levi, is because you have the power to dream. You have the power to dream. And I just love that. I just love that, 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 The power to dream is what saves us all from a bad idea. (laughs) And there's just there's there's something wondrous and just so wonderfully philosophical, spiritual, and yet comic booky about what Ramvi is doing. And it's a comic book and it's Swamp Thing and it's awesome. And I just really love it. I just I love the metaphor here. There's so much that you can read into this, no matter what your proclivities are in terms of how you think spiritually, philosophically, or whatever you, whatever, however you might think. What I love about Swamp Thing is that there's something in this for everyone, regardless of how we might approach the, the subject matter itself. And so, my highest praise.
0: Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. It's a fantastic series. So, uh, anyway, that does it, everybody, for uh, the DC books. Believe it or not, there's no collected editions this week. That That's all the books that are coming out, with the exception of there is a second printing for Green Lantern number 12, which is, I guess, the first. First appearance of John Stewart as the Emerald Knight. Um, it's got a cool-looking uh, character cover uh, of John Stewart in his Emerald Knight costume. But, uh, yeah, that's it. So uh, I probably have to give my, my favorite book, my favorite DC book, I probably have to give the nod to uh, Batman Fortress. Uh, although there, uh, just about all the books were, were real strong this week. Obviously, Teen Titans Academy probably the weakest. Aquaman probably down there as well. But everything else was really really solid. Um, but yeah, Batman Fortress it just it felt fresh, and that's saying something for a Batman title. So, uh, what about you, Rocky?
1: Uh, well, yeah, it's uh, um, it's a tie for me. The more you know, I got the more I talked about Swamp Thing. The more it, it rose in my rankings in my uh, in my uh, head. I would have to say it's a tie between Swamp Thing and Batman Beyond uh, White Knight uh, number three. Uh, both both very well both very well done. Very well done. And you know, honorary mention of Deathstroke and Robin. Man, I think Shadow War. I'm enjoying it. I'm having a lot of fun with yeah. it. So kudos to uh, Joshua Williamson on both those.
0: Yeah, I agree 100. percent So don't forget to check out our uh, new Comic Wednesday episode. Uh, I know we missed last week, but we'll definitely. It's been it's been really hard. So thanks to everybody for hanging in there while I've been traveling so much for the for the day job. Uh, and I hope everybody got a chance to check out my Superman Sunday episode this last Sunday, talking to uh, comic longtime comic artist Ron Friends. He's the one who came up with the. Superman blue, the electric blue Superman costume. Uh, he was also the writer or the uh, artist rather on Spider-Man when Spider-Man changed to a black costume. So uh, as well as along with Tom DeFalco creating a new uh, Thor, a look for Thor, you know, with the beard and the helmet and what have you. So man three, and we talked about it in in, the, in our chat, you know, three iconic characters <laughs> where, when the costume changed, they got pushed back from uh, a lot of the fans. So yeah. really interesting. A lot of the things that Ron had to, uh, had to say. So, uh, what about you Rocky? Anything else you have, uh, coming up or uh, that just came out that you want to tease? Uh,
1: I don't think so. No, I'm, I'm going to be tied up all week again with trials and other things and, uh, probably sneaking away and checking out the Johnny Depp Amber Heard drama. Cause that's always <laughs> good entertaining for, in my neck of the woods. So, uh, and just a quick shout out. You mentioned Thor. Uh, just, uh, just, uh, when we started this uh, two hours ago, the Thor Love and Thunder the trailer drop uh, dropped. The second trailer uh, dropped for Thor Love and Thunder, so I'm gonna I'm gonna de- definitely check that out and see if uh, 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 Helmsworth was bragging that uh, it apparently it's it's quite good. It's the best trailer yet, so that he's ever been involved with. So check it out.
0: All right, check it out, all you MCU fans. So uh, don't forget, if you're listening to us on the audio only, head over to YouTube, look for Rocky's channel, Comic Space Boom! Subscribe, ring the notification bell, like this video. That way you know when new content comes out. Conversely, if you're checking us out on YouTube and you don't listen to uh, the other audio content that comes out from the comic source, just go to your favorite podcasting app or platform on your smart device. Do a search for the comic for, comic source and subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the interviews that we do or other content. So uh, I, I promise you, Spawn Daily is coming back. As soon as I'm done traveling, we'll get back uh, on a regular schedule. And we will get caught up. probably means we'll be uh, releasing double episodes for like a month, uh, but we will get caught up. So, uh, again, we appreciate this, everybody's support and for you joining us as always. And we'll talk to you next time. See you later. you can find the comic source podcast on spotify apple podcast stitcher google play or whichever podcasting app you prefer please tell all your friends about us subscribe and rate us the ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners especially five-star reviews on apple also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation access the show notes and discover all our other great pop culture content